¿Estás listo para convertir tus mejores ideas en un negocio en línea exitoso? Te presentamos Shopify. Tal vez no lo sabías, pero nuestro podcast More Than Mummies es un negocio. Y lo comenzamos, por supuesto, para desahogarnos y hablar sobre la maternidad, no para convertirnos en expertas de ventas y del e-commerce. Así que sí, necesitábamos ayuda para vender nuestro merch y poner en marcha nuestra tienda. Por eso estamos tan contentas de usar Shopify. Regístrate con tan solo un dólar por mes en shopify.com barra sonoro, todo en minúsculas. Ve a shopify.com barra sonoro para llevar tu negocio al siguiente nivel. Shopify.com barra sonoro. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers easy get constant contact constant contacts award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out stay top of mind and see big results fast constant contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and sms marketing social media posting and even events management with constant contact you'll reach new audiences Grow your customer list and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I'm a small business owner and I believe that this is a great tool for other small business owners. In small businesses, you need to create a team. And if you're starting by yourself, Constant Contact can be the team that you need. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by the 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com Right at the moment, there's quite a lot of dissent among populations, dissent linked to COVID. There are abundant signs of frustrated publics who have been required to act in particular ways often on penalty of police action or fines or whatever. The government is trying their best because they give permits. You can't leave the major cities without a permit. So there are roadblocks everywhere whereby you're supposed to produce a permit. If you have no permit, you go back home. So it's really helping because COVID is not going out there in the villages and the smaller towns. It's actually embarrassing people in developing countries. They feel embarrassed to be only getting a minute proportion of the vaccine that they've ordered and need. And I actually think we're going to get more and more vaccine hesitancy because of this rather disrespectful treatment. Welcome to the Global Goalscast, the podcast that shows how we can change the world. In this episode, the rebellions against COVID restrictions just at the wrong moment. In South Africa, there are riots. And here in the UK, the government has stepped away in the face of public exhaustion. Markets suddenly got scared about the Delta virus. And in Tokyo, the largest global gathering since the pandemic gets underway. It's still called the 2020 Olympic Games. All of this, while new COVID cases continue to climb. Can the world find a balance that protects public health while allowing life to resume? We'll look at that and more right after this. 
This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by the Royal Academy of Engineering's Leaders in Innovation Fellowships, supporting innovators as they develop creative solutions to impact the sustainable development goals. Women who are accurately diagnosed and get treated for their sexually transmitted infection will be at a lower risk for HIV infection. Leaders in Innovation Fellowships has built a global community of over 1,000 innovators in 15 countries who bring diverse and unique perspectives to tackling global issues. Thank you to CBS News Digital and to Universal Production Music. Welcome back. I'm Edie Lush. And I'm Claudia Romo Edelman here in an echoey room in the south of France. <laughs> I'm glad to have you with us. We love to be positive here at the Global Goalscast. Solutions, the glass half full, champions making a difference. But we also insist on being clear-eyed. We don't sugarcoat reality because to deal with reality, we must see it. We are in the middle of a really difficult pandemic and we are nowhere near the end of it. Our colleagues in the WHO over the last week have been trying their best to be clear that it's not going away. If you're a regular listener, you know that voice by now. I'm David Nabarro and I'm giving this briefing in my capacity as special envoy of the WHO, World Health Organization, Director General on COVID-19. We've been doing these briefings now for nearly uh, 18 months on and off, and I'm so pleased that this time we are joined once again by colleagues from Global Goalscast as we all come together. After 18 months of this pandemic, you might think Dr. Navarro would run out of things to say, but I know my old boss. And if anything, he has more to say because the situation is more urgent than ever and more complex. As you look in different countries around the world, what more can be done to engage people in the response? And by that, I mean engaging all people in the response. And we've got to bear in mind that right at the moment, there's quite a lot of, of dissent among populations, dissent linked to COVID. And so it's engaging people at a time when many don't want to be engaged. There are abundant signs of frustrated publics who have been required to act in particular ways, often on penalty of police action or fines or whatever. I'm not going to stop my core message, which is the virus is the problem and people are the solution. And I still believe that over time, humanity will work out how to coexist with this virus. But I'm perfectly prepared to accept that we're some way away from that in Western Europe. Dr. Nabarro was speaking a few days before what some people here in England have been calling Freedom Day and he was especially critical of the UK government. All of the restrictions around personal behavior, particularly mask wearing and physical distancing, which have been backed by law, 
they're all going to be dropped. People are going to be asked to be cautious, but the strong position from the government is going to end. And my feeling is that that's actually not empowering people. I've heard ministers saying people are being invited to live with the virus. But I don't think that inviting people to live with the virus means that you don't give them guidance as to what they should be doing. So I'm very critical of what's happening in the UK. And in media yesterday, I was extremely outspoken. Basically, if you're asking people to act in ways that make it difficult for this virus to be transmitted, firstly, those in positions of authority have to act as role models. And secondly, the guidance has to be consistent. So if you've got a government with a series of ministers in cabinet, it should not be a case of each of those ministers is free to decide what they should be doing with regard to face protection and physical distancing. That's an anarchic approach. It's almost saying that there's just no interest from the government in the relationship between behaviours and risk. So I've actually asked quite formally for the UK government at cabinet level to have a clear and articulated policy in relation to personal protective action. Because I think without that, there is really no chance for people to be able to act in a concerted and effective way. So just to summarize, yes, people are the solution, but you can't expect people to be the solution if they get exposed to inconsistent advice from those in positions of power and authority. Without public health, it will not be possible to live and coexist with this virus because public health is key detecting cases early, interrupting transmission effectively, and to helping things return to some degree of, of normality when there is a surge of disease. And without public health, to identify people with a disease using testing, and then to respond to the spike of disease with appropriate action to interrupt transmission through case finding, isolation, contact tracing, and then isolation. But without that, it's really, really difficult to interrupt transmission. And so what we ask for everywhere is that the public health services are sufficiently well equipped to be able to pick up people who've got the disease quickly and to be able to interrupt transmission by isolating them again quickly. And that's the heart of preventing this disease from getting a foothold in any population. So you've got to have it. And if you're a zero COVID country, you've got to have really well-developed services to detect cases and to interrupt transmission, because you never know when cases are going to come in. 
So the strong community level defense with an integrated response capacity is absolutely key. Now I've been looking through the plans of governments that are expecting to open up and reduce restrictions in the coming days and weeks. Are they referring to local level public health services? Are they referring to the ability to detect cases and then to interrupt transmission? No. And in fact, in the UK, because the scheme that existed for detecting cases called test, trace and isolate is thought to have been rather expensive and not as effective as it could have been, actually, the government doesn't mention it. And yet, without an effective test, trace and isolate system, the capacity in society to deal with spikes of disease quickly and effectively will not exist. So I'm looking really intensively for evidence that test, trace and isolate is being put in place in these countries that are moving quickly to open up nightlife or pubs or restaurants or whatever, despite the fact they've got quite high caseloads of COVID. And I'm saying, have you got your public health? Yes or no? And if you haven't, I'm calling it out because without public health, you can't stop transmission. You can't stop transmission without public health or without public support. And that is the thread around the world. Public support for public health measures to curb transmission is eroding. The scariest example, Edie, is in South Africa. In South Africa, rioting was set off by the arrest of former President Jacob Zuma. But it was clear that the violence was fueled by pent-up anger at lockdowns and the severe economic impact. This is Megan Metupfa in neighboring Botswana. The government is trying their best because they give permits. You can't leave the major cities without a permit. So there are roadblocks everywhere whereby you're supposed to produce a permit. If you have no permit, you go back home. So it's really helping because COVID is not going out there in the villages and the smaller towns. It's because the numbers keep on increasing and they want to try to curtail the numbers so that we live because people are dying. And we're also scared because of the unrest in South Africa, our neighbor, there is going to be a spike in cases. We've actually anyway been ordered not to travel to South Africa. They are trying to cut down on the numbers that cross the border. Because of this unrest, the Delta variant is going to be in here soon and maybe in large numbers. Megan, I have to ask you one question. Yes. You say there's not much Delta in no, Botswana is, at the moment. It, it, it's presumably... There is. There oh, there is. is. Okay, there is tell Delta, me. but we are, I'm saying due to the unrest, it's going to spread more because people in South Africa, were, yeah, they were not even social distancing and masking, as you, as you can see on television. Yeah, I saw it. terrible pictures from Johannesburg. I, I was thinking as you were talking, Megan, it's almost as though that South Africa population who've been required to be at home for quite a long period of time, they've had, I think it's, well, they've had two periods. It must be a population that is feeling pretty delicate at the moment, presumably 
one could have said the stimulus was obviously there, the court case, but there must have been a sense of, of frustration for quite a long time among the people who've had to experience such a massive loss in income. Am I right or wrong in that? You are right. The other extenuating circumstances, it's not just about the former no. president. People were just waiting for a chance or an opportunity to express their yeah, feelings. That's what I thought. I was noticing, Megan, that there's the same sort of sense of collective despair and unhappiness also in Cuba. It may well be that in the next six months, as I was implying at the beginning, that there will be more instances of people who are pretty unhappy about poverty associated with COVID, finding that they need to express their, their perspectives. I can understand that. So we are not in a good place in this pandemic, but we're also not without hope. When we come back, clear steps to curbing COVID. This episode of Global Goals Cast is brought to you by the Royal Academy of Engineering's Leaders in Innovation Fellowships, supporting innovators as they develop creative solutions to impact the sustainable development goals. Here is one of those innovators, Dr. Joanne Passmore, Associate Professor at the University of Cape Town Medical School. She is the Chief Technology Developer of GIFT, the Genital Inflammation Test. HIV is an enormous public health problem globally, and Africa is at the epicenter of this pandemic. Young women in Africa are at the highest risk of becoming infected. I'm motivated to lower HIV risk for women in Africa and to enable more equitable access to reproductive health. To do this at the point at which women access their reproductive health, I'm motivated to translate my research and understanding of HIV risk into technologies that can achieve this. My vision is that GIFT will contribute to this. For some context, women with genital inflammation were at a much higher risk of later becoming HIV infected. The amount of genital inflammation we measured in these women was similar whether or not they had clinically identified symptoms of inflammation or a sexually transmitted infection. So we showed that this inflammation was measurable before the woman became infected, and that's the key take-home message. Subsequently, we found that a few of these biomarkers of inflammation could easily and cheaply identify women that had an STR or bacterial vaginosis, and this led to the development of the genital inflammation test or GIFT device. I've learned that the team is key. I've learned that many brains with different expertise are critical to building a successful innovation. Public health systems and health budgets are under pressure in Africa, so health economic considerations should be at the core of how you think about your innovation from the start. Translation and innovation are key to moving public health research agendas forward, and this should be the motivation from the start. That was Dr. Joanne Passmore. You can learn more about her work at www.gift.org. And about the Leaders in Innovation Fellowships at the website of the Royal Academy of Engineering.
David Navarro is the first to acknowledge his latest briefing was a downer. But COVID is spreading and the world's reaction are just off. We're depending too much on the vaccines we don't have enough of and depending too little on public health measures that work and on leaders that can keep the public engaged and supportive. Countries that do not have high levels of immunization coverage are always going to be nervous about having spikes and surges of disease. The countries that have got a lot of vaccination coverage should be anticipating that they will have cases but less death because they will have protected those who are most at risk of death early. Rich countries like the UK and the US are citing the reduction in hospitalization and death as a sign of victory over COVID and using it to justify the end of public health mandates. <laughs> Dr. David Navarro is not so keen on this. What's wrong with this is the following. If you're going to have a lot of COVID, even if a significant proportion of your older population has been vaccinated, you're still going to have a lot of younger people with COVID. In fact, you might end up with quite large incidents, somewhere around 50,000 a day, quite easily. About one in 20 will get long COVID, no question. And some of that long COVID will be really nasty, with damage to the myocardium, damage to the endothelium in your blood vessels, giving you clots or damage in the meninges around the brain. I personally just do not think that there is any excuse for any country anywhere to be saying it doesn't matter if young people are at risk of long COVID. So we will just simply not worry if there's a high instance in unvaccinated people, provided those unvaccinated people are young. I don't like it. I don't like a conscious decision to let a virus spread, even if it doesn't kill people, because we know that this disease causes long-lasting debility. Who's looking after the one in 20 long COVID that are coming through? I'm just talking to somebody just this afternoon, lives in Suffolk, nearest long COVID facilities in Norfolk. Waiting times are huge. The necessary services are not always available. I just don't think it's reasonable to let a large cohort of people experience long COVID. So for me, the prospects over the next six months in the countries that have got relatively high levels of vaccination are firstly, a lot of long COVID in younger people. And secondly, the constant risk of more and more mutations emerging that are capable of breaking through the protection offered by the vaccine. It's not good. And people say to me, well, surely it's not inevitable that there'll be a variant that can beat the vaccine. And I'm saying it's not inevitable, but just look 
at the rate at which variants have been emerging at the beginning of 2021. Up to six, and I don't know enough about Epsilon and Lambda, Lambda, but I can tell you Delta is extremely worrying. And so I think that there will be more variants. So I, I want to somehow get into the narrative without being a fearmonger that even if you've got high immunization coverage, long COVID and breakthrough or vaccine escape are both sufficiently to be expected that there is no case at all for people to be abandoning mask wearing or physical distancing, self-isolation or hygiene in the United Kingdom, given the rate at which cases are rising right now. And the same applies in other Western European countries. And I hope that those of you who live in countries where restrictions are due to be dropped on the 19th of July or thereabouts will very overtly continue masking and continue physical distancing, even if you've been vaccinated. That would be my request. Now, the prospects for places where there's not much vaccine now is that there's still not going to be much vaccine in six months' time. It'll be a bit more. COVAX has got a bit more because it's had quite a lot of donations, but it's nowhere near enough to reach the 10% that Tedros has asked for to make sure all health workers are vaccinated. And there's all sorts of problems with the dribble of vaccine that's reaching developing countries. It's actually embarrassing people in developing countries. They feel embarrassed to be only getting a minute proportion of the vaccine that they've ordered and need. And I actually think we're gonna get more and more vaccine hesitancy because of this rather disrespectful treatment if you treat people disrespectfully, they don't respect you for what you give them. And I think we're going to end up in poorer countries with very low vaccine coverage, with an awful lot of spikes and die-offs, with a lot more mutations, with real difficulties of travel, with economic disruption, with probably a lot of physical disturbance and strife. So the next six months for me are not good. A Canadian public health official named Lawrence Lowe joined David to look at the challenge ahead. Disparity in policies between countries that pursued elimination versus those that pursued suppression is going to be increasingly important, especially for those countries that have highly susceptible populations that don't have robust or rapid vaccination programs at this time. They will need to be extremely vigilant and continue to be extremely hard on measures in order to maintain, which means it may prolong the measures and the restrictions that their populations have to endure. I think it could be Longer restrictions. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Lawrence. Go on. And I think the only other thing I was going to mention, I'm a local public health officer in the, in the region of Peel, which is in the greater Toronto area. Um, and one of the things that is uh, becoming increasingly important to discuss around public health capacity, uh, besides the pandemic response, is also all the other things public health does in respect of... Maturity. All the things that are not 
than not being done or exactly. something the like that? that? Go on, Lawrence. We yeah. pause the programs such as our maternal child health, our uh, safe water, safe food, environmental health programs in respect of climate change. Uh, all of these have been paused in my health department and 85% of our staff have been redeployed to the COVID response and mass vaccination response. Wow. So I would uh, encourage especially all of us to speak with one voice as areas start to move into reopening the need to also ensure that those programs are supported and restored and and resourced appropriately as they move into new phases of the pandemic. Edie, the markets took a big tumble Monday when they realized that this pandemic is far from over. The lesson learned is that they should just like listen to the global goals, right? Honestly, honestly, I tell you, Edie, we've been banging on this again and again. Dr. David Navarro sounds like a broken record when President Biden was saying, take away your mask. When I am organizing a parade to bring back life, when people are actually burning their masks, mm. we said it might come back. People have to keep on wearing their masks. Public safety measures, politicians have to distribute vaccines. Edie, I was on a call yesterday with seven people, two of them just got COVID after their second vaccine was absolutely mm. gone, but not, not after six months. Mm. So there's no absolute justification of what's happening. One of the other people that I was in a meeting with, his mom had to be hospitalized, but there were no beds in the hospital. Mm. This is an absolute deja vu. And at the end of the day, what will it take? for us to realize that we cannot go back to life just the way it was, that we cannot be traveling, that we cannot be walking the streets without masks, that we cannot actually depend on leaders that just want to get over it and done with it, and that we have to vaccinate the entire world for this to be over. What will it have to take? We knew what was coming. We interviewed Bruce Alwyn, Right at the beginning of the pandemic, who had been to China, he could tell us and the WHO could tell us what was coming. But as he told us in the podcast, they were giving messages to ears that wanted to hear a different story. And people still don't want to hear it. Here in the UK, I feel like we are running into the streets with our hands over our ears shouting, la 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 la. People are throwing off their masks, going to festivals, going out. And now in the UK, more people have COVID than have COVID in all of the United States. So that's pretty scary. The other thing is that the pandemic is now a ping-demic. So we all have this app, the NHS Test and Trace app, which tells you if you have come into contact with somebody that has COVID. Now people are deleting the app because they get pinged every day. COVID is everywhere. People don't want to hear it. And it is pretty scary. But Edie, what will it take? History has spoken. I mean, like we've seen it again and again. This is not the first pandemic the world faces in the Spanish flu, actually, when we lost close to one third of the planet. It was not on the first wave of the pandemic. It was on the third one, when people knew it. And nevertheless, they came back to it with no precautions the way that we're doing that. I have planned myself a number of things for the end of the year. I have planned myself to do meetings in person and so on. But going back to the office in September, I predict it's not going to be possible the way we have it now. The Cocker Spaniel has just escaped and he has entered the podcast recording room. 
Pluto may behave, he may be not. So let's just carry on. So Claudia, I think the question is, are we hearing the message about the pandemic? No. As we're going to explore next week, are we hearing the message about climate change? I wonder if the answer is no there. We're going to explore that more next week, but I just wanted to tell you this quick story about, I took my daughter shopping. We went up to a couple of stores that have been there for years. We're trying to get into the first store and I noticed the sign on the door, sorry, we didn't make it through the pandemic. So connection between COVID and the economy right there. Tried to go into the store next to that. It was closed because of the extreme flooding that we had last week here in the UK that happened all across Europe. So it's a pretty interesting dynamic. It's a pretty interesting duality. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Absolutely. So all the overall, I think that the message here, Edie, is we've been there on that. We've been saying that along. Please have this as a wake up call for all of you. Do not actually risk you, the ones that you love, if you're a leader, which is probably who you are if you're listening to the Global Ghostcast, just take this seriously. Just make sure that you understand what the measurements, what people are saying, what Dr. David Navarro is predicting, because it's most likely something that you don't want to be cross-correcting when you have people in your office being sick, people in your country being dead. So act now, and as hard as it is, swallow it, because what we've been saying it is probably going to come to your face pretty soon anyways. So Edie, this week we're not doing the data and the action points. I think that there's only one action point, which is wake up to the reality. COVID is not over and it has was never over. You said it. Thank you to David, Catherine and Twee, everyone at Forest D for our partnership with you. Thank you to our guests. Thank you very much to the Royal Academy of Engineering. Thank you so much, everybody. And I'm very much looking forward to a healthy future. Global Goals Cast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo Edelman. We are editorial gurued by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Howard. Music in this episode was courtesy of Universal Production Music one of the world's leading production music companies, creating and licensing music for film, television, advertising, broadcast, and other media, including podcasts. Original music by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, and Andrew Phillips. This episode of Global Goals Cast is brought to you by the Royal Academy of Engineering's Leaders in Innovation Fellowships, supporting innovators as they develop creative solutions to impact the sustainable development goals. And thank you to CBS News Digital. The struggle is real, and we know that firsthand being daughters of hardworking immigrants. That's why on La Lucha is Real podcast, hablamos un poquito de todo. Somos Angel and Edith, long-term best friends who have authentic conversations, giving us space to be vulnerable without judgment because La Lucha is real. We want all of our amigos who listen to us to feel a part of the conversation and feel empowered to become a better version of themselves. A veces bromeando y a veces llorando, pero siempre mejorando. La Lucha is Real podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts.